Hello, welcome to episode six of Everyday Being, our podcast that's trying to bring to life how a simple change of how we live, how we think and feel in really simple, everyday, common terms can make a significant improvement on our well-being, on our mental health and our happiness. I'm Gareth and I'm once again joined by Steve. Hello, mate. How are you? Hello, Gareth. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Just getting over my cold, so um, hopefully I won't be spluttering quite so much as I was in the last episode. So uh, yeah, looking forward to today. How's things with you? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think we've sort of between the two episodes, we'll have got Steve on the way out into the cold and Steve on way on out of, <laughs> of the cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so I think we've caught it at the the uh, right uh, right peaks of uh, of the illness. So I'm glad glad you're feeling better. Uh, yeah, everything good for me. Everything uh, really fine. Um, so plan for today's episode is we've got a listener question that we're going to end with this this week uh, and the reason that we've uh, done it that way round is we think that it's really connected to our topic today and what we want to do is go through the, the topic really understand it really explore it in the way that hopefully you're getting used to as you listen to to, to more and more of our, our podcast series so we'll once again introduce the topic talk about a couple of the sort of key components of it we'll we'll describe some everyday situations and examples that we think really brings us to life and then talk about a key takeaway message and something pragmatic that you can use and you can apply to help you think about your sense of being and and how this can have an impact on on you so we'll do that then we'll come on to to the listener question Steve and I are both really interested and excited about today's topic. Um, and actually, I think it's really great that we can get stuck into it so early and and, and quickly and really give it some some proper time and really go go deep on it. Um, and I think this is this is a topic that actually we you know, hopefully many of us will identify with. So we're going to talk about confidence. We're going to explore confidence from an everyday perspective. We're going to really think about how our being, our understanding of being has a, such a fundamental impact on confidence. And if we actually we start to think and see things differently, actually, some we, we've got a really strong belief is that actually confidence that can be such a such a profound impact for people or hold people back or you know really sort of have dramatic impacts on them when, when we're doing things in, in whatever sort of situation if we think about it differently we think actually there can be such a freeing element to it so so we talk about confidence um steve why don't you kick us off and and uh, introduce the, the your your initial views on confidence yeah i think um so I think as we were sort of putting this together, so this is like a sort of a deeper dive, really, I think looking at some of the, uh, well, the everyday implications, I guess, of some of the things we've been talking about in the other episodes. Um, and I think we we thought we sort of split into three areas, really, to do with sort of something around confidence in ourselves, which I think we've sort of touched on before. And then there was a a, a listener question actually from Josh about, confidence to do something that perhaps you've never sort of done before so perhaps we'll go a little bit deeper into that and I think that the final area I suppose is the is the key one in a sense because it's well what's the interference that's 
that gets in the way of confidence because I, th- I suppose you can look at confidence as what do I need to do to get it I guess what we're also pointing to is well actually what if confidence is something we already have that's sort of with something within us that relates back to being and maybe we'll touch on that and therefore what is it that sort of takes us you know takes us away what is it that sort of gets in the way of that I, I just wondered if that would be a good place to start with with the interference and then come back to maybe the other two yeah good um, yeah and I suppose you, you know throughout the the other episodes we've talked a lot about what's sort of behind our experience and we've um you know touched on thought a lot actually through that because thought plays such a sort of central role in our experience as we've mentioned it's what um it's the currency of the mind in a way it's what creates the mind our thinking is what sort of creates our mind and um you know and if you look at our mental health you can see that there's a really different quality to our thinking when we're when we're really at our best. And when we find ourselves struggling with our mental health or when I've worked with individuals that are struggling with their mental health, then thought is always is always a factor in that. You know, when people are often struggling with stress or anxiety or depression, um, you know, they've invariably got a lot of thinking on their mind um, and often have quite a, a poor quality of thinking that's not helping them navigate themselves through their life at that moment in time so despite their best efforts um their thinking is not being sort of helpful to them and and i think that's one thing i really see with confidence so this comes up quite often as a question in coaching is what when people want to be more confident in doing something mm. and when you really explore okay maybe what's getting in the way of that there are definitely some themes that I think may be useful just to cover in terms of how people perhaps are and this is all innocent how we innocently misuse our thinking and the things I see the key key sort of three areas really I'm interested to get your thoughts on it as well Gareth is the first one is when it comes to confidence and people really struggling they tend to have a lot of thinking about what other people think of them. So if they're having to um, deliver a presentation or or run a meeting, uh, for example, they'll have a lot of thinking about how they want other people to perceive them, how they want other people to um, react to what they're saying or doing. And, you know, invariably want people to react positively to something, Um, which of course is really quite difficult because You've got no idea what someone else is gonna gonna think. Quite often, if you're saying, let's be honest, quite often if you're saying something really important, the chances are that not everyone is gonna like it. You know, sometimes if you're trying to um, get uh, affect a change, or you're introducing something that perhaps people have not been introduced to before, um, then people might not like it, or might not um, might not take to it straight away. So often trying to control what other people think is a real recipe to um, to really affect your confidence because the reality is you've got no control over what someone else thinks of you or how they're going to respond to what you're saying or doing. So I think that's one key area. I think a couple of other ones would be sort of self-judgments. 
So people often when they're struggling a bit with their confidence, they have a lot of thinking about what they should do, what they shouldn't do, what they must do. And so they apply this quite sort of rigorous standard about the way that they should be showing up to a particular sort of situation. And that just makes people quite stilted in a way. You know, you just lack uh, often that sense of being just connected and in the flow of things. So that those sort of self-judgments. And I think often the when you're trying to control what other people think or you're you've got lots of self-judgments, you can almost see what it sort of unintentionally creates is that we become overly self-conscious. So it's a bit like the best sort of way of describing it often, I think, which and when I describe this to people, they often really recognize it. It's, it's a bit like you're shining a torch in your face. So if you're um, in a meeting or doing a presentation, it's literally like you've got a torch that, and you're shining, you're bringing the torch right up to your face and you're shining it right in your face and you feel blinded by it because then you become incredibly self-conscious. And I think often the consequence of the heavy judgments we have and the, um, you know, the overinvestment in what other people think of us, it is literally like we're just shining this torch and we literally sort of blind ourselves. And, and you, you almost create a panic. You know, you can see that someone feels a bit panicked about a particular situation. Of course, you lose all of your ability to see your audience because you're literally blinding yourself. So your ability to sort of connect <clears throat> to your audience and to get a sense of how your message is coming across is um, is really limited. Um, and then the final part of that, which I just mentioned really, which is the overinvestment then, we just get overinvested in the, the outcome, how it's gonna work out, what the conclusion's gonna be. And the problem with that is that because we don't control the outcome, then that might automatically start to create some anxiety because we can't be confident in the outcome because we don't control, we don't control it. But also the other side of it is it then affects the quality of the way that we communicate. So anyone that's sort of self-conscious has lots of thinking about themselves. They, you know, for all of us, we become less sort of connected to what we're doing and what we're saying. So we sort of get over-invested. And I think it's why, you know, we've, talked about sports a few times but sport will often say you know focus on the process don't focus on the outcome because they know that mm. it's the engagement it's the way you involve yourself in what you're doing that is the only thing you can be fully confident in which maybe we'll sort of come on mm. to but any thoughts mate you know does that ring does that ring true for you or you <laughs> yeah examples of that yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I, I really like that as, as three critical drivers of interference, trying to control what others think, the way we judge ourselves and the investment in an outcome. And do you know, the, do you know the thing that came to mind is interviews. I think most of us will have had a job interview at, at some point. And I can, and, and they're, they're incredible nerve-wracking situations people can go into lack of confidence and worried worried about them i think the vast majority of people do not everyone but my 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 experience people do get nervous whether it's a confidence driver i don't know but nerves play out there and and, and as you were talking i was thinking 
actually all those things apply in an interview interview situation we absolutely want the job or, or, or want to get offered the job sometimes you know look it, it's not right for us but actually in my experience people even when they don't want the job still want, want to be offered it to them can choose that actually i don't want to work for somebody who's not come across in the right way or not good organization or good job whatever it might be but actually that investment in that outcome of i want that offer of a job or i want to work there that that is at play we absolutely want to impress the people interviewing us and therefore we're trying to do things where we're trying to control what the people are, people are doing. And I was speaking to somebody recently and they were talking about, Oh, well, I'll try some, you know, uh, copying of the way the other person behaves in order to sort of build relationships because that that's, I've read that somewhere. That's an interesting thing to thing to do. Um, and, and I, you know, when I've had interview as well, I've uh, in the past, um, thought oh is this is this question you know is this what they want to hear or oh, I'm not sure that landed very very well or that you know and I I can absolutely um, know situations was I where I was being self-judgmental on the answers that I w- was gay given and then probably quickly go into a oh they must think terribly of, of me I'll never get this job and like in a split second those are the three key things playing out isn't it in you know in there so I I, I yeah, I, I, I can I know I've personally done those things, and and I and I'm sure that's a great example with a really simple way of of how those things can play out, and and, just, and, and ultimately impact our performance. Sorry, yeah, Bob. sorry. I'm just going to add <clears throat> the other thing I've noticed with that is I've had this a lot with people is when they get headhunted for a job that they're not really they're not even sure that they want to go for it because I think and they're really happy at what they're currently doing. And they, but they go along anyway, just to see, you know, it's, it never does any harm to see. Um, and they go along seriously. It's not like they just sort of treat it um, indifferently, but they always, the jobs they get offered, you could almost guarantee. I've had so many coaching clients <laughs> where that then becomes a dilemma because they go, well, I just rocked up, you know, I we had a really good conversation and you can feel like because they just turned up, they were really not yes. thinking about it they were just bringing themselves to it genuinely engaging of course they come across really well and they that's the job they get offered and i it, honestly i've had it happen so many people um but the problem is you can't fake it you know if you you either you have to sort of see why that happens and how it happens um and be able to be in that mindset of of, of letting go of the outcome and then when you do, you you just you show up as your best version of yourself. Um, and of mm. course, that has impacts for people. Mm. So it's really true. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for me, whilst we're talking about confidence today and we're looking in this first instance about interference and how confidence can play out, actually... Th- those things to some extent will impact in other ways that isn't about confident as well it's just around uh, that that i don't know a sense of presence being in the in the moment and how how it can impact performance even even we might think well no i am, you know i am being i'm confident this isn't a confidence issue but there is 
a real strong attachment to what happens at the end. There is lots of critical judgments going on. Even even in confident situations, you can say, "Well, I'm higher confidence," but that was crap, or you know, whatever that might be. So, so what what I like about that summary of three things is, yes, it's absolutely about our topic of com- confidence, but actually, those those three things can apply in in a whole range of other situations as well. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the. <clears throat> You know, I, I keep mentioning mental health, obviously, you know, because it's a lot of the work I'm involved in, but also because I suppose it's so, it just seems to be sort of ever present at the moment, you know, which organisation is, is sort of not thinking about it or looking at it. And, you know, it's just really interesting, you know, working with lots of different people over the years with lots of different challenges that they might be facing with with their mental health or with stress or with burnout and you know you would just you will just always see these at play you know when someone's struggling around you know lots of thinking about what other people think or lots of sort of self-judgment you know people being really harsh on themselves about um what they should and shouldn't be doing and and their expectations and their assumptions you know that they're making about what good performance looks like or what's reasonable um you know how that makes them incredibly sort of self self-conscious um and people that just work themselves you know incredibly hard to just keep achieving outcomes so that over investment in outcomes and yet despite that and despite high levels of achievement obviously um not feeling then the happiness that they thought that would bring Mm. you know so you know achieving a promotion or achieving a certain income or you know delivering on a project that's maybe taken a long time and yet feeling the sort of that the satisfaction of that was was a very momentary thing rather than anything that had any long-term traction to it Mm. I mean, I even had it with someone <clears throat> I spoke to recently where they'd had a, I can't if I mentioned this, like had a big promotion and, um, uh, and you know, when, when I asked them how long that, that sense of satisfaction lasted, it was literally, yeah, that evening, you know, that was a good example of that, where then all the thinking kicked back in and that's what then led to the the, the feeling of being self-conscious again, feeling sort of lack of confidence in the self and, and so on. So it's, it's amazing how just a small change or, you know, a, an innocent misuse of our thinking that just accumulates. And, you know, those even those three things, if they sort of build and build and build, what what a you know what it can do to someone's sort of state of mind and the feeling themselves and i think in that example steve you you were talking that the person had worked an awful long time for that promotion and and so much effort and sacrifice had, had gone into getting that and and also had some strong attachments to what it would mean once they got the promotion about the either the happiness that it would bring or the more money or the status and all those things and and actually they had this strong belief that when they got there all these things would be true and life would be better and mm-hmm. and and as you brilliantly just said that that 
the positive i don't know emotions that that they got from that experience disappeared very very quickly because more thinking was layered on about i'm not going to be successful in this role and so you know there was you know that that, that is a just good example of self-judgment the the, uh, the thinking that goes into i will be happy or i will be something if that happens you know real outside in set of, set of thinking as as well mm. um and also just just that sadness isn't it that you know, you know and, and look that person's not alone there's many of us that do that this isn't it the way we put so much emphasis on a certain outcome and and so much hard work that goes into it that you just end up not enjoying the the benefits of of all that hard work and what that's that should should achieve because thinking goes on top of that so quickly yeah 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 that's right yeah i think and i think that you know that is one of the fundamental myths that i think is still to be busted in a way is that um that that's that somehow something outside of ourselves will bring something to our inner state whether that's happiness yeah. confidence fulfillment satisfaction you, you you it's so tempting for that to look like that's going to be true you know, if I just paid off my mortgage or if I've just got that much money in the bank or if I just get to that point in my career, then I'll be free or whatever. You, you can, you, you know, you can replace it with all sorts of things and you just realise that, you know, if that was true, there would be lots of evidence for the fact that that would be true. And yet, you know, we certainly know in the West that despite probably people being, you know, generally in a much better position sort of, you know, financially in terms of all the things they have in life, um, you know, that we're in a better position than we've been probably, you know, go back to the sort of previous generations. And yet, you know, has it has it made that, that difference? Are people any happier? Is mental health you know is mental health today better than it was then you'd say well no if anything it's much worse now you can say there's other factors that perhaps are more aware of it than we were before which is true the pace of life is different you know with with sort of technology and so on um so there's other factors but i think we're still slightly caught in that myth that somehow something outside of us if that if we can just find what that answer is what's what's the thing rather than no you've got to look within for the answer and i think you know all the lot the spiritual traditions do all sort of say that you know we've mentioned people like sydney banks or you look at eckhart tolly or from byron katie you know they're all they're all they're all saying the same thing they might describe and they might have a slightly different approach or way of articulating their insight or understanding but you know, fundamentally, they are saying the they are saying the same thing. That ultimately, those states of happiness, fulfillment, and so on, are internal states, and it's much more about if we if we connect to that, if we connect to our being, then that's what enables us to then achieve the things that we want to achieve in life. It doesn't mean that we stop having ambition. 
um, it probably makes us more effective, but we're not we're not holding on to those things, thinking that that that's going to be the answer to our or our internal state. It's almost the other it's sort of the other way around, really. I was listening to an interview, you know, we mentioned sport, but the, the England cricket team is a really good example at the moment because they've just won their series in Pakistan, which three nil and, you know, the number of teams that have ever won there is just, you know, it's it, it incredibly small because it's such a tough place to sort of go and it's such a tough place to go and um, be successful. But it's very interesting, the, you know, Brendan McCullum, the coach and Ben Stokes, the, the captain, you can sort of see, I saw an interview of Ben Stokes where he he got out in one of the other games, got out for a duck. And one of the other players said, it was almost like you didn't care. And he said it was like, which he said was sort of partly true. He said, but of course I never want to get out. But this mm. player was saying, but it, it didn't seem to affect you. And he said, that's what we're trying to engender. We know that we want to win test matches. So this isn't about, well, the result doesn't matter. They're saying, no, we want to win, we want to win games and we want to win every game that we're in. And you know, the the one of the bowlers was saying, Brendan McCullum, in one of the matches, they were thinking, we're losing a few wickets very early on in his tenure, you know, should should when do we start to bat for a draw, sort of thing. And he said he came in at lunchtime and said, we we go for a win and that's it until the last ball. So he said, even the, the 11th man, he said, if you're in and it's 70 runs, then I want you to hit the ball to the boundary. Mm -hmm. And uh, this bowler said that then was like, OK, they're, they're, they're serious. They're serious about this. Mm -hmm. And so the the what they're saying is you can't think about the outcome you know you're there to win games but you have to then be in the moment and you have to be expressing yourself because it's only through expressing yourself with no fear that you can possibly reach your potential you can sort of show what what your potentialism what that might deliver us in terms of the the sort of performance so i think it's often interesting because i think sometimes when you say to people don't care it looks like then it's like well all bets are off it's all quite a laissez-faire approach and i i think it's not it's really saying no this from this perspective everyday being is no if you're treat you're treating life seriously you know life is something that you have to engage with it's an ongoing creation and what this is saying is if you can sort of understand that it is that ongoing creation it's about who you're being in moment to moment then that's great that that means you're fully involved you're fully engaged with life and therefore you're much more likely to achieve the things that you want to achieve um, if you're coming from a happy, fulfilled place, then what you know you're going to take more risks. You're going to be more comfortable outside your um, comfort comfort zone. Um, you're going to be more inquisitive about your life and, and and what you want. You're going to be more thoughtful in your relationships. You're going to be more engaged as a as a colleague, as a friend. As a, you know, it's it's. It, it it's a fuller engagement with life 
but it's really helping you to to bring your whole self to that and you know and and sort of in a way sort of push yourself um and see see where it can take so, you so uh, so coming back to conf confidence then so so from a being perspective then so we've we've talked about we've talked about interference so we understand some of the things that we so and then you were brilliantly saying um it's about where we're coming from it's who who we're being so so i mean i guess move us on to uh okay so what does that confidence being look like or what's the connection between confidence and, and being or how do we have confidence in ourselves coming from from being yeah, and I guess, I mean, you know, a few times we've used young children because I think it's just such a good example that, you know, young children before the age of about two and a half, three, it's really interesting how they don't have any problems with confidence because at that moment they're completely in their being. So they're completely just present to their experience. And, of course, if you think of it, well, they they, they probably shouldn't have much confidence in anything because everything is new. I mean, even to the point of walking, you know, they can't, they can't walk. I mean, that's something that's sort of outside of their, their core skills and capabilities for a while. And yet mm. that, that what is it that they do? I think what they do is they are very present and very sort of connected to their experience. So they don't have a lot of thinking about things because they see that if you just engage with life, then the confidence to do things, the confidence to read, the confidence to write, the confidence to be able to walk, to communicate and so on, comes from the act of doing it. So there's something within them that just, they see life as this is an ongoing exploration so do they want to achieve things? Yeah. I mean, you look at young children and what was very interesting, if you see them with, if they've got siblings, older siblings, and I've got three children, you could really see there's a real sense of, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to be like my brother and sister. Why can they do that? And they can, and they're involved in this. And, and you can see, so there's an inherent motivation or desire in them to want to achieve I think they really want to learn. So you can see that they're very much in a learning mindset. So achievement, learning and fun. They want to have they want to have fun in what they're doing. So if you play a game with them, they treat it really seriously. Stick to the rule. Dad, the rules are it. Come on, Dad, don't don't break the rule. The rules are this. But they want to have fun with it. And they see that's that's part of a, a learning opportunity. So they wouldn't think about confidence in the way we're talking about it. But if you think of it, they're developing their confidence through the act of how they're turning up, um, their ability to engage with whatever the activity is and learn from that. And then the confidence to actually achieve the things sort of comes from the act of, of, act of doing it. And, you know, I've often thought if, if, if we didn't walk, you know, if walking was sort of left until you've sort of got to sort of, I don't know, school, you know, five and so on, where you've got a lot more thinking about 
you know how how good or not you are and how you compare to other people you know it's when as we start to develop that sort of separate self at around three years of age that's when you can sort of see kids start to have a bit more thinking and and their confidence for certain contexts can start to to come and go a bit depending on how much judgment they have or how many expectations they have of themselves compared to other people and I would think you know if, if we didn't walk no one would walk because let's be honest when children first start walking they fail a hell of a lot and for a long period of time and so you imagine if if they had a lot of thinking about it that'd be it you know you'd have all these adults going yeah you know I, I tried I tried I tried the walking bit you know but it just didn't work for me you know just obviously I wasn't born <laughs> with the genes for it or you know it just wasn't meant to be it wasn't you know it, it wasn't in my chakras or whatever because yeah it just just didn't take and it's like you know I, and which I'm sure is why <clears throat> whatever the intelligent design is sort of took that out of the equation because it thought well if if, if human beings are going to walk this earth and and create and and do all the things they've done then we've got to take all of that away to start with um and uh so so I think you know that when you say what does that what does that look like then well so I think from an from an adult's perspective it looks like that that the only thing you can be really confident in is your sense of being present and being engaged in your moment to moment experience so when you, so when we're in the present moment we don't have fear we don't have worry and and it's really interesting when you know you start to point this out to people they really get they start will notice that god that is so true when i'm just in the moment of something I'm in a situation that's quite difficult and challenging but if I'm just in the moment of it then I don't have the worry I don't have the fear I don't have the insecurity because that can only come when you take yourself out of the moment even if it's very subtle going back over what you just said or what might happen in the future so there is a real truth to that that that's the only thing to be really confident in is your ability to be in the now and present and then the, I suppose the second part then is links back to that question we had from Josh, which is, well, the confidence to do something is an outcome of doing it, not as not a starting point. So the starting point is, can you turn up? Can you be present? Can you be engaged like you like young children are? So that gives you the, the best opportunity to to be then learning in that situation and then it's saying if you're doing something new then it's a learning experience and the confidence to do it will come as a result of doing it not as a not as a starting point and that's just true I mean if you just look at things that anyone that looks at what they're confident in in their life you know, particularly when it comes to an activity, you, you will notice that, you know, the confidence comes from the act of doing it. You know, you look at professional sports people, you know, it's laugh sometimes when they say this person, all this raw talent. And then sometimes when you look at 
the amount of work and effort, you know, Rory McIlroy yeah, or someone like yeah. that's always held up as this, you know, and clearly had a lot of underlying talent, but he's been swinging a golf club for a long, long time, mm. you know, doing hours mm. and hours of practice and work. So in a way, it's a bit disingenuous to say, well, he was just born with his talent. It's like, no, he might've been born with some talent, but, you know, look at how much work he's put in to, to, to that. Um, and then, you know the the confidence then for that skill to hold up under pressure comes from the fact that he's done all of that all of that practice so i think sometimes we miss something interesting underestimate that there's something interesting for me about i'm not sure i've got this straight in my head but there's something for me when i hear hear you know, you describe in the first instance. I'm, I almost think that sort of some some of these some of the things we're talking about are almost eradicate confidence in the in 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 the actually it shouldn't it shouldn't be a thing. Shouldn't a funny funny word with it, but it almost is actually. If we if we're totally present in the moment and we are connected, <clears throat> we we will present our our best for it. And and as you rightly said, then you know the more more you do it, the more likely it is to to happen to to an outcome that that you want, whatever whatever that that might be at the sort of stage of you know your evolution of of doing whatever it is. But in many ways, at no point should confidence play into that. Because actually, it's it's maybe it's neither help, helpful. We know how negative it can be, and and, and equally, I know that the, yes, there is some. You know, certainly, when you think about nerves and nervous energy, actually, produce production of you know adrenaline actually can can aid performance there. But but uh, but the heart of it, because actually, look, confidences are an irrelevance. Yeah. But then also what you're also saying is no no confidence has has a huge role to play in it and it comes from you know repetition it comes from um application it comes from understanding how much you can do what your potential thing is as well. So so I've I've almost got this interesting sort of tension at play that that make it irrelevant. No, it's 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 important and I I don't know I probably haven't settled on 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 what I feel strongest about. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a really good point, actually. I mean, I'm not quite thought of it in that way, but, but what comes to mind, I suppose, is that I th- I think if you almost take it out of the equation, because I w- I was always struck. I don't know if you ever watched those. Um, sort of special forces thing they do on the telly sometimes like, like who dares okay yeah. And, and so yeah, on. yeah 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 and i've i've read a couple of the books from a couple of the the, the ex-soldiers that sort of act as the staff for that just to see their own life experiences and what really struck me with the, the two of the guys i sort of have read was that 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 if you think, oh, they just they don't have fear and they don't have insecurity and so on, and that's what makes you a really good special forces soldier. It's like, no, you've missed absolutely missed the point. That's not. And it, if you watch the shows, anyone that tries to present that, they they will just 
beat they'll meet it head on because they're just saying that's just not realistic that is just not and it's not yeah. true it's not uh, it's not true and they're not trying to say they've never they never feel fear or and they never feel insecurity it's what they're really saying is can you still function despite that yeah are there ways that you can um still do all the things you want to do despite your state and I think in a way, Gareth, what that's in effect, everything we're talking about really is that I think there's sometimes this myth, a bit like the outside in myth of, oh, at some point, you know, I'll I'll be beyond my insecurities, you know, because I'll have achieved enough to show myself that I've been successful or because I've got this much money or whatever it might be. And mm. And it it and it's really saying no. That's just not that's not true. Are there times when I might worry about something or feel a bit insecure or be a bit fearful? It's like yeah, absolutely. But do I know the source of it? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know for me when that comes up, I know because of the inside out understanding. I know that's something to do with my thoughts. I know it's something to do with my state of mind, the way that I'm perceiving this situation. Do I always see what that is? No, a lot of the time I, you you don't. But the fact that I know the source of it means that I don't then misuse my thinking or overthink it or even try and deny it in a sense. But can I recognize, oh, I feel a bit, I've got a bit of thinking about this. I've got a bit of insecurity about this. And it's like, can I, can I be aware of that? And do I then, am I able to be in a situation where I can still function despite that thought, despite those feelings? And it's like, yeah, because I can come back to my being. I can be more conscious and aware of, how I might innocently misuse my thinking or I can also resist the temptation to try and think positively if that's not what I'm mm. what I'm feeling <laughs> yeah and I think that that for me is what we're what we're talking about it's how do you navigate this as opposed to feeling like you control it and you can be on top of it and you can keep changing your thoughts and changing your feelings and and sort of so on it's you know it this is this is looking stepping back from that and saying if you understand the nature of it then i think what you're saying is probably right then it's like well confidence just doesn't become a, a key focus for me and it, probably, and it doesn't for me particularly mm. i'm much more i'm much more tuned into my being and i and I suppose looking at what are some of the things that might take me away from that in the way that I might get caught up in thinking that's less helpful. That's that's the key bit to see, really. So if you were to sort of, I don't know, summarise or, or give a couple of pointers about how we can build on on what we're talking about you know think about the interferences but but how how our being and how, where we're coming from can have such a, a positive impact on on everyday life and and what we you know what how we perform how we show up 
what what would be those couple of things that you'd you'd encourage us to think about, Steve? Well, I think that I think two things to my mind is that um, that I think sometimes doing the work on who you're being. So this is where um, you know, like we've we've talked a few times that what we do is a reflection of who we're being. So sometimes yep. it's really helpful to do a little bit of work on that to say yeah what how you know what is currently in certain you know if there's a situation where someone is blocked it's really helpful to do some work and thinking yeah who am I being in that situation so what what is what am I doing and how is that reflective of who I'm being so what what's my thoughts um what's my beliefs What's the sort of way I'm turning up to that situation? So you're just getting more curious as to, okay, what what's going on in my mind in the way that I'm turning up to that situation? So getting sort of reflective on that. And, and sometimes <clears throat> that starts to highlight perhaps judgments, thoughts, expectations that we might be having of ourselves that perhaps we just haven't noticed because obviously so many of those just operate very unconsciously. So sometimes just doing a bit of reflection on certain situations, perhaps where you're feeling mm. like you're, you're just lacking confidence. And sometimes what I would do is get people to contrast. So contrast that, you know, for, you know, using like a work example that meeting where you really struggle with your confidence just notice how you're being there and then compare it to another meeting that perhaps is not easy um and quite challenging but you notice that your confidence and your ability to deal with it is just very different to the other one so sometimes helping someone just contrasting compare and contrast of what's what's the difference? What's the difference in my thinking, my judgments, my expectations? Because there'll always be differences. So sometimes that just being aware of that is really is really helpful and can highlight some things where we might the person might innocently be holding themselves back. That that's a good example. Mm. The other one yeah. that I would often do with people is when they're going into a situation is really getting to think okay what's your intention when you go into that situation what's your intention because our intention really drives what we do and what we do creates our impact so there's a sort of direct relationship really between our intention our behavior and our impact and what we tend to do is focus a lot of attention on the behavior and what do i need to do differently here which is can be helpful, but a lot of the time it's yeah. But what what's what's your intention, and how might that be? And and how might that be getting in the way? And so, quite often, the is the intention in your in your control. Mm. So, for example. Oh, my intention going into this conversation is I want the person to react positively to what I say. You know, if you're giving, for example, um, someone's giving someone some difficult feedback, they'll say, yeah, no, my intention is that, you know, I really want the person to see this and understand it and 
you know, take the steps they need to take to sort of put that right, which in the face of it looks like, well, that's a good intention because you want the person to be positive. But of course, the reality is you've got you're no control of that. That is a bad intention, because what you're saying is you're wanting the other person to be react in a certain way. And the, the reality is it's not that's not in your gift. And also it's slightly disingenuous, actually, if you think of it, because you're saying, you know, your model of how the person should be is the way they should be rather than where they are. So I would say, well, okay, now that's not in your control. What's in your control? And of course, you can track it back to, for example, it's giving feedback. Well, the the intention behind your feedback. So is it genuinely positive towards the other person? Is it... um, that your intention about communicating it clearly, being honest about the way you're expressing it, if it's appropriate, are there some examples you can give to to bring it to life? So the more you can get the person, the intention to be completely within the gift of the person, the individual, that's what enables them to be feel more confident then in the way that they go into that that conversation. So I mean, what almost comes to comes to mind is is sales really and being being sold to when you're on the receiving end you know I don't know be it in I don't know be it in an electrical store or be it buying a new car or something like that I'm sure we've all had experiences where where you actually had fully intention tension of um, buying something but actually came across a salesperson that just had a sales pattern was just using their standard lines and those steps to a core and going through things and and having no connection with you at all and you're going do you know what i've I, you know I'm, I'm not connecting to this person actually the 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 reverse is happening and i don't like this person therefore i'm not i'm not going to come here i'm not going to buy that product because because i'm there but also, hopefully, we've all got experiences where the reverse has been true, where you you go in and you're looking to understand, or maybe you come in from that same perspective, and and actually somebody listens and asks questions and and guides you, and there's a sense of of um, a, a relationship or a connection between that that person, and you think you're being helped to it, and you know you you ended up making making a purchase. Now, yeah. you know maybe they're very set, very clever salespeople, or actually manipulating the, the, the situation. Maybe maybe that is true, but actually, I think in simple terms, if the bad situation is is where somebody is, um, it, it you know is not thinking about the situation and what the other party needs and then in the in the positive situation the salesperson absolutely is and about creating the connection and thinking about what it what is it that they can do of service to the other person how are they being somebody that can help and aid in the in the problem or the situation the person has i think that is is where power can can come and also where the negative impact comes as, as well. And it is all about that, that intention and that connection um, and, and, and how that plays out in a simple thing like buying a, you know, buying a dishwasher, buying a laptop, you know, mm. I don't know, things like that. You know, hopefully that is something that resonates. I think, and just to build on that, I mean, I do a lot of work with lawyers who are making that transition to sort of, 
just um, managing matters, as they call it, to actually <laughs> developing a practice, building a practice. And it's really interesting because <clears throat> the biggest stumbling block I see to that is when they link their motivation to the outcome. And up to that point, you can do that as a lawyer because you you deliver things. And as a result of delivering it, you get a happy client. And so the, the, produ the producer part of the role doing legal work, you can get constant reward for that motivationally because you're achieving things. When you're first starting to build a practice and develop business, you cannot link your motivation to that because the reality is to start with, you're not very good at it for one. <laughs> and you're, um, you're nurturing long-term relationships that don't necessarily pay off, pay off in the short term. And that is a big, one of the partners I run a sort of session with, we, we, uh, he's really, he's a very successful and he's really good because you know, we get people say, what are you selling? You know, and he gets them to think about what they're selling and so on. And the punchline is the only thing you're selling is an experience. That's it. Yeah. Or selling an experience for the client. And it blows their mind because it's like they never really thought of it like that. And I, I years ago, I used to do work with a big retailer and <clears throat> they they went to see an Apple store. This is quite a few years ago now, so it might not be still true. But the one thing that really struck them is they were very heavily measured on sales, like daily measured on sales. And apparently the the branch manager in Apple store doesn't have a P&L. So has no profit and loss account because the only thing they're measured on is the customer experience. So that's why I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But when you go to an Apple store, you don't feel like they're selling to you because they're not. They're not. They're not bothered. They're not bothered if you buy from then there and then or whether you go home and buy it online they literally have nothing they've nothing on it because that's not their job that's not what they're that that's not what they're being measured on and so it's all about how you how they show up with you and and I think in a way everything we've been talking about in a way Gareth is is about that it's saying look the only thing you control is your being how you show up and it's really saying well if you if you show up and you're you're thinking about who you want to be in whatever the context is that you're in and you're creating an experience for yourself and you're creating an experience for other people that reflects who you are then the chance are whatever success is going to come to you will come from that <laughs> um a bit like the ben stokes thing with the cricket it's like however good a cricketer you're going to be you know it's going to be when you feel that you're just free and you've got no fear and you can go out and express yourself, then the more likely the, the, the closer the gap is going to be between your potential and your performance. And that's, that's the key. I'm going to, I'm going to move this to our listener question, Steve. Um, so uh, we've got a, a brilliant question from Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for getting in contact. She sent us a uh, email to hello at everydaybeing.co.uk. So another opportunity to, to remind you there that we'd love to hear from you. Please, please get into contact uh, with us. Um, 
Sarah sent a a question uh, through, and I think in the preparation for today's episode, Steve, Steve and I uh, think this is a really tricky question. <laughs> um, and when I first looked at it, I said, I don't know what the the answer uh, to to that is. So, Sarah, hopefully we will 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 give it justice. Oh, sorry, we'll do we'll do justice and and answer uh, what what we we think. Um, but we wanted to preface it in the first instance to say, "Oh crikey, it's, that's that's really tough." So, what, what, so question, uh, Sarah's question was in in two parts. She said, "Firstly, how do we change our mindset into inside out when we're in really difficult situations, particularly when the outside is really overwhelming?" Um, and in the second part, then is. And then how do we overcome the feeling of guilt or disappointment when we don't handle the situation well or stay present? So how can we, so let me summarize, how can we in the moment change when the outside is really hard? And then if we fail to do so, how do we deal with, with, with that? Yeah, and I think, like we were saying earlier, <laughs> off air, as it were, it is a trick, a challenging question. So, with, uh, I guess my perspective, Sarah, I think, and thanks for the question because I think this is such a good everyday example. You know, who who hasn't yeah. had that type of of challenge and situation? Um. And and just to give it give it a bit more context, perhaps uh, in that actually one of the things that Sarah was saying in her in her email to us was actually she was talking about parenting, so she was talking about the experience with her children and how they can be out, you know that the they are the the outside and how how do we deal with that in the most effective way when as as we you know we've we've probably spent a lot of time in, in already in the series talking about actually the the innocence of children but we also know that they can be incredibly <laughs> challenging as well yeah. so so her context was very much around parenting uh, parenting sorry yeah and i and i think <clears throat> you know, like we've mentioned a few times, this isn't a prescription. So I think one of the challenges of what we're looking at is we're saying it's helpful to have an under, a, a more accurate understanding of what's behind our experience. So more of a, an accurate description of what creates our experience, how that relates to mental health. Because if you have a description of something, it has certain implications for the way that you then might respond to your experience. And then the prescription, what to do, if you like, flows from that from that place. And I suppose so often we want the prescription, you know, we wanna know, yeah, what's the right thing to do? And in a way we're saying this isn't a prescription. So we're, we're pointing back to something. So I think the first thing I would say about the, um, what Sarah was saying is, it's really to see you're always inside out. So it's always tempting with this to look at, um, you know, what do I need to do to be more inside out rather than outside in? And we're saying, no, we're always inside out, actually. Everything is always inside out. It's just that's really hard to see at times because it can look like it's the situation that's causing me to feel the way that I'm feeling. And we're saying, that's just like an innocent misunderstanding. 
And I think why I just come back to that is because if you don't see that, everything you then try and do to be something you already are is sort of taking you in the wrong direction. So we're saying, no, we're always inside out. So that's really helpful to see. And that therefore what creates overwhelm or that feeling of stress for us will always be something to do with our thoughts, feelings and emotions and the impact that has on our sort of state of mind. Now, in the moment, that doesn't mean, you know, that we won't get bothered by certain things that might be happening in our lives. But it's really useful to sort of know that, okay, even when I'm caught up by something that's happening that looks like it's outside in, it's just really helpful to sort of know that, um, no, that's something to do with the way that I'm relating to it. It's something to do with my inner state and the way that I'm sort of perceiving the situation that's, that's at fault. And that's just really helpful so that in the moment you can be much more conscious or aware of um how how i'm relating to that experience how i'm using my how i'm using my thinking in it, at that moment so that's the first sort of, in a way that i think is is the really good starting point i think the other thing that then um sarah's sort of alluding to in a way is that and we've mentioned this i think we in passing we've mentioned this idea of the book of law which um comes from a an author i we probably need to reference him actually maybe i'll do that in the show notes but when i came across this i thought it was such a lovely description because what he was just saying was that when we're born we're born we're given a name, we're given a language, we're given um, <clears throat> a, a code of ethics to sort of come into, whether that might be a particular religion or, or whatever. But there's lots of things that we have no say in really, you know, and the two primary ones would be the language that we speak and the name that we were we were sort of given. And um, so, uh, um, and what he was saying is that <clears throat> then through our early life, we're given a book of law and that book of law then builds on our language, builds on our sort of the, the um, sort of uh, social mores that we're born into. And we're, we pick up quite quickly on this is right. This is wrong. That's good. That's bad. That gets rewarded. That gets punished. This is what being a good boy looks like. This is what being a bad girl looks like and so on and so forth. And so we build up this, this book of law that, that enables us to function and thrive in in society. And of course, as we get adults, you know, that book of law is quite big in terms of the expectations, the judgments, the uh, thoughts we have about ourselves, the thoughts we have about life, the thoughts we have about how we should be, um, what being effective looks like and so on. And <clears throat> the, the problem is if, if we don't make that that book of law just operates very unconsciously for everyone. Um, so in work, you know, you see it with people that think they should please everyone, people that think they should get everything perfectly, people that think they should be strong and should be able to cope with anything. So there's all sorts of ways that that 
that book of law sort of manifests itself in the way that we live our life. And what he was describing then is that there's part of us that then judges ourselves against the book of law. And there's another part of us that then becomes the victim of that. And the problem is this is all internal inside ourselves. And so this all goes on, this battle goes on constantly in the in the background. And so one of the things I thought was interesting that what Sarah was describing was that, that as parents, we will have certain thoughts, expectations, judgments about ourselves of what being a good parent means. And, <clears throat> and, and that creates that can create a busy mind of thoughts, expectations, judgments, and so on. And it's, of course, that that creates the overwhelm. And then there's another part of us, which I think she alluded to later, which was, and then how to overcome the feeling of guilt and disappointment when I didn't manage to handle it and stay in the present moment. So then that then becomes, that's the victim part of us. So for all of us, we're constantly playing this sort of dynamic between the part of us that judges ourselves and thinking about how we should be as a parent. And then the other part of us that then feels guilty and frustrated about the fact that, you know, we didn't meet, we didn't meet those expectations. And my experience, I mean, my kids are all older now, but <clears throat> my experience as we learned more about parenting and also what I saw in other people is that the best the best place to be is no expectations. Yeah. yeah. Which sounds really odd that people often really rile at that when you go, you should have no expectations as a parent. It's like, well, yeah, but surely you should be doing this, you should be doing that, da, 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 da. And it's like, no, but if you if you're clear about who you're being, so it doesn't mean that you can't have some thinking about what. What's the experience that I'm looking to create in the way that I show up? There's nothing to do with the kids. There's nothing to do with my, my other half. So if I think about myself with my wife, in a way, who I want to be as a husband is for me, not for her. And we've been married, well, we're coming up to 32 years, actually, on, on Thursday, we've been married. And it's really interesting. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. We've talked about this a lot. But one of the things that over the years that I think has been a really positive for us is our expectations of us, of each other, are less and less and less. And therefore, the way we turn up with each other is better because we're more present. And I think as a parent, it's a similar thing. If you don't expect yourself to be a particular way and you don't expect your kids to be a certain way you're then free to turn up and I certainly know who I want to be what the experience I want to create as a parent for, for in the way I am I don't always get that right mind but then it means I can be much more responsive in the moment to whatever seems appropriate in certain certain contexts and I think the other value of that is that one of the things that as a parent, I think is really important is that, <clears throat> so as a parent, you've got your responsibilities to the, ch to the children, 
but you've also got your responsibility to yourself as an individual. And I think yeah. sometimes if we don't recognize that, that part of us that's about ourselves sort of gets pushed into the shadow a little bit. It's the part of us we almost deny because we want to give ourselves fully to the children. But there's always there's always a consequence to that because we're rejecting part of ourself, actually, the part of ourself that has its own wants and needs and things. Plus, of course, as a parent, if you're co-parenting, so you've got a, you know, you've got a, um, a husband or a wife or a partner, then part of your role as a parent is how do you role model what a healthy relationship looks like? Because partly what you're doing for your children is saying, this is what healthy parenting looks like. And a lot of that is that as a couple, if you're, if you're living as a couple, that you're demonstrating what, what, what that looks like because then that enables them to have a role model of what that looks like for later on in their life as well. So I think often as a parent, yeah, thinking about the family unit, thinking about the couple and thinking about you individually, those roles are equally important actually. And I think sometimes it's very easy for parents just to pour everything into the children and lose those other two, lose themselves or lose themselves mm -hmm as a couple and then there's a there's a consequence to that and it sort of doesn't do the kids any good actually because partly for the children it's it's helping them find their own place in the world and their own independence and if they don't if they're not sort of you know encouraged and pushed to do that then sometimes those boundaries can get very very sort of confused um and that just doesn't do them any, I don't think it does them any any good in the long term, actually. Um, there was uh, two, two, two thoughts I, I had in response to the uh, question, Sarah. I think firstly, what I, I, I sort of took from the question actually was a sense of a, gro of a growing level of awareness of your being and your thinking and your state of mind. And, and 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 maybe actually it was coming from a perhaps a critical nature that I'm not doing this and I should be doing more of of, of that and and look that's that, that's natural either as we grow in our own knowledge or actually it'll be something that always always plays out for us but what I think struck me was this sense that there is just this growing awareness and and therefore I took a lot of positives from the question is that you, you're seeing things and whilst you're wrangling with it and I should be more of this and less of this and how do I do this actually that there what what there was that sense of greater understanding and you know I think what you know why why are we doing this what we're trying we, we, we set up this series in order to build an, an awareness and for people to think about okay how does it apply to me how can it help me in in my life as well so I I, I did I did take, you know, I could, I could see some, some sense of that as well. So I sort of took a, took a positive, from, you know, from, from that. And and the second thing I think that um, came to, to mind was in the second part of the question is that, it, you know, how, how do we deal with that sense of guilt and disappointment when we didn't hand, handle it? And, 
I guess what I was thinking about there was if we are truly being in the moment, that is that is all we ever have. We absolutely can't do anything about the past. The future is completely unwritten and we've got no idea what that what that will look like. And and to some extent, it's not in our control at all. So past, nothing we can do with future, nothing we can do with. And even me saying this now, those things have completely gone into the past. So therefore, all we can be is is in in the moment. So and I know this is easier said than done, but when we have those feelings of regret or disappointment or guilt, whatever they are, that look at that whatever it was was in the past. There's nothing we can do about it now. So so just let let see those emotions for what they are, understand where they're coming from, understand that we're creating it and they're coming from our own experience. And and you know, easy to say, hard to do, but l- let those things go because there's there's nothing we can do ab- about them. All we can do is return to being being in the moment. But as I said, I I know that's you know that's something that I I find challenging at, at times. But but you know, and and it's not something that that I can never do quickly. But actually, when when I when I can. I, I do see that it has a have a powerful impact and and then can influence the way I show up with things in the future. So so I guess I'm I'm just saying let it go. Mm. Yeah. We've, we've covered a lot, Steve. Uh, we've gone really really deep on it on a topic as as we said we we would. Um, we hope as ever there is something in there. We hope there's lots, but we hope there is something in there that. It's resonated with you that you can take away you can think about it in a really practical way that can help you day in day out with your you know your own experience your own happiness and your own own thinking um please continue to join us we move on to episode seven and there's a little taster we're going to be thinking more about well-being next next time round. Uh, so, Steve, any final thoughts as we finish our episode on confidence? No, that I, I, other than what we've covered, really, which I, I suppose is just get maybe interested. Are there areas where you can just notice that perhaps overthinking things or unrealistic expectations or judgments um, and, and, and just being more aware of those situations, I think, would be the thing I would point to. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd echo that. I'd echo that, that where we started, where we talked about interference, how that how that can get away, trying to control what others think of us, the judgments that, that we make about ourselves and that investment in the outcome. Think about, about that, that interview sort of situation. So thank you once again. Um, it has been a pleasure to have you in a, in our company and we really look forward to spending more time with you in the future. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye.